tonight, backlash, weaponized diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives face a reckoning this year and next. How Harvard's inaction exposed the true racial hypocrisy in America. Chaos, the broken border becomes the one thing every American can agree on, except the White House. We're at a time of the year where we're seeing more uh, at the border, and it's not unusual. Can a public pressure campaign finally push Washington to a solution? Trump, come in here. Clean this mess up. Whiplash. John Fetterman goes from media darling to pariah in the blink of an eye. How siding with Israel became the new way to get canceled by the left. Pardon priorities. The White House commutes drug sentences while a wrongfully jailed Navy lieutenant will likely miss Christmas with his family. Why the president won't keep his promise. I promise you. Plus, Bill O'Reilly on his predictions for 2024. Will it be Biden versus Trump? Welcome to the Ferris Show on television. First tonight, 2023 was the year of DEI retreat. 2024 could be the year diversity, equity, and inclusion dies. And mark the tape. Coming next year, the revenge of 50-year-old white people. Let me explain. Next year, the Supreme Court will rule on a major employment discrimination case. The decision they make could open the floodgates for reverse discrimination lawsuits from the Washington Post. Supreme Court appears likely to ease process for workplace discrimination claims. At the center of this is is a St. Louis police officer. She argues she was essentially moved to a less desirable rank because of her sex. A broad ruling in favor of the officer would make it far easier for workers to sue their employers for discrimination. Conservative groups have already launched a series of similar lawsuits. Take, for example, America First Legal, which is run by former Trump advisor Stephen Miller. They're planning dozens of reverse discrimination complaints against companies like Macy's, IBM, McDonald's, Progressive Insurance, and at least two universities. Some of the complaints have already been filed. Other cases have already played out in the court. And the defendants received huge payouts. A judge in New Jersey ordered Starbucks to pay Shannon Phillips nearly $3 million after she complained the company fired her because of her race. In another case, a jury in North Carolina awarded David Duvall $10 million. He claims a healthcare operator replaced him with two women, one of whom was a person of color despite strong performance reviews. The coming high court's ruling will only lead to more lawsuits. It will embolden legal groups and everyday citizens alike. People like Rochelle Hoffman, Our affiliate covered her discrimination complaint just filed against the University of Wisconsin Eau Claire. She claimed she was demoted from her job in the Multicultural Student Services Office because of her race. She's white. From her complaint, despite Hoffman's exceptional qualifications, students, faculty, and staff opposed her appointment solely because she was white. It was exclusively Hoffman's identity as white was the issue. Criticism was about her race and color not her qualifications. It's a stark contrast, of course, to the situation at Harvard, where President Claudine Gay holds the gold medal in the Diversity Olympics. Gay maintains her job despite facing at least 40 plagiarism accusations. That's on top of her congressional testimony, during which she could not answer a relatively 
and what should have been a painfully simple question. Can you but not say here that it is also- against the code of conduct at Harvard? We embrace a commitment to free expression, even of views that are objectionable, offensive, hateful. It's when that speech crosses into conduct that violates our policies against bullying, harassment, Does that speech not cross that barrier? Does that speech not call for the genocide of Jews? A new report from Jewish Insider sheds a little bit of light on what's happening at Harvard. Controversy cast spotlight on Penny Pritzker, former Obama official atop university board. Obama, Obama reportedly privately lobbied Harvard on behalf of Claudine Gay, trying to save Gay's job. The fact that Gay hasn't been fired shows the level to which DEI ideology is ingrained into the academic system. Even the New York Times now is criticizing her. John McWarcher writes, if it is mobbish to call on black figures of influence to be held to the standards that others are held to, then we have arrived at a rather mysterious version of anti-racism and just in time for Reverend Dr. Luther King Jr.'s birthday in less than a month. Moments accelerate trends and the Harvard president's plagiarism scandal will only accelerate the backlash against diversity, equity, and inclusion, the very thing she, the Harvard board, and progressive elites hold so dear. It really could be the death of the movement. Gene Hamilton is here, VP General Counsel of American First Legal, who we told you about filing some of these suits. Uh, It's good to see you. You guys have been on this for a while. Uh, Has the Harvard situation changed things? Well, Leland, thanks for having me on. I think that, as you say, moments in time can have lasting impressions on, on movements. And the movement in our country for hundreds of years was towards greater equality, progress towards equal treatment under the law. Now, we went through kind of a radical period over the last five to ten years where a lot of this DEI stuff crept up. And instead of equality, the goal became equity. The goal became picking winners and losers based on immutable characteristics like the color of their skin. I think that we are identifying successfully for major corporations all across the United States for courts all across the United States, for everybody, that all American citizens have the right under existing law to be treated equally, to not be discriminated against because of the color of their skin. And so that goes from everything to individual lawsuits that we filed on behalf of our clients, to uh, filing civil rights complaints left and right, to just changing the terminology. You know, it used to be that people used to use this term reverse discrimination. But the fact of the matter is there's no reverse discrimination. Discrimination is discrimination. doesn't matter who's doing it. It doesn't matter who's... There was a time, and I think we can all agree, where there was was reasons to try and help people who before had been denied opportunities, right? That you you, you don't necessarily have to discriminate against one person to offer other people um, opportunities. That, that clearly that time perhaps has changed or has passed. But the question would be this. Are you all finding, shall we say, a, a more permissive or accepting or uh, willingness by the judiciary to look at the discrimination of 50-year-old white people as what you just called the discrimination? Absolutely. I think that you see some of this. 
Um, even, you know, in the Supreme Court's decision this past summer in the Harvard case, although that was applied to the educational context, uh, there is a concurrence there from Justice Gorsuch that describes how Title VII, which is the governing statute that provides most of the anti-discrimination guarantees at the federal level for American citizens, looks awfully similar to Title VI. And the plain language says you can't discriminate against somebody on account of these grounds. So I think what we are finding already and what is the case already is that people are waking up and they are realizing that we are no longer in whatever world it was that in the past that, that you described where there was some documented so, record uh, company. American support of corporate freedom. And I think there's an important point to be made here because conservatives often say that corporations should be able to do what they want. Private companies have rights that the federal government and that uh, schools and publicly funded universities do not. 61% of Republicans, 50% of Democrats agree that elected officials should allow companies to address diversity, equity, and inclusion as they see fit. Where, where is the line here between uh, allowing corporations to to carry out businesses they see fit and do what they think is in the best interest of their business and their shareholders versus uh, your all's position that DEI needs to die? Yeah, Leland, it's a great question. I think that it, that, that poll depends on you know the impression of the person receiving that question. But I think Congress has answered that question for us about what companies should or shouldn't be able to do. And so since, 19, since the 1960s, and quite frankly, since immediately after the Civil War, there have been laws on the books that say you can't do this in the private sector for, for characteristics to really fully enforce the equal protection guarantee that every American has to equal treatment under the laws of the United States. These are things, these are protected grounds, immutable characteristics that Americans yeah. can't Gene? do. Uh, look, Gene, uh, you're, I think your phone's going to be ringing a lot more uh, come next year, certainly seeing how, how what has played out at Harvard and how the world has shifted um, on this issue, even the New York Times now uh, on it. Uh, come back and talk to us next year about it, all right? Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Almost every day now, a record number of illegal immigrants cross the U.S.-Mexico border. In the weeks to come, they will head north, making the migrant crisis in New York and Chicago only worse heading into winter. Speaking of Chicago, the citizens there have had enough of the progressive mayor. Here's one resident at a city council meeting. To see another group come over here, it's disgraceful. It is un-American. Trump, come in here. Clean this mess up. Hmm. The only thing Republicans and Democrats agree on going into 2024 is that the border is a crisis. The more people who come across, the more leverage Mr. Biden gets. The current immigration court backlog is 3 million, roughly the population of Chicago, and growing every day. Current border crossers sometimes get court gates for 2031. It will be impossible to fix the problem without some kind of grand bargain. The White House and progressives would love this moment to push for some type of mass amnesty. And there's a time frame here. When both houses of Congress come back on January 9th, it's only 10 days until the first funding deadline to avert a potential government shutdown. And the border fight will play a significant role. Here now, White House columnist for our partners at The Hill, Niall Stanage. What I think is fascinating, Niall, is that both sides here, Republicans and Democrats, think they have the upper hand here. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Democrats think that they can really use this issue to push for other priorities of theirs. Republicans point to polls that show the depth of public concern about this topic. It's not just a partisan issue anymore. When we look at polls, we see Democratic voters growing increasingly concerned about immigration and immigration itself rising up the rankings in terms of the issue that is of most concern to voters. It's interesting to see the juxtaposition of what's happening in terms of the messaging at least from the White House. These are the pictures from Eagle Pass, Texas uh, on Wednesday. This is from News Nation's cameras. MSNBC's cameras had the very same pictures up, and they called it, MSNBC did, a humanitarian crisis. And yet when asked about it uh, earlier in the week, this is what the White House spokesperson had to say. Uh, increased migration flow. Certainly, uh, it, it, you know, it ebbs and flows. And we're at a time of the year where we're seeing more uh, at the border. And it's not unusual. What we're seeing, though, is unusual, just numerically. We are seeing 12,500 people a day. That is a record of records. We're seeing record numbers per year continuing to go up, new records set every month. What is the White House's messaging game? So I think it is difficult to downplay the importance of it because of the very thing that you mentioned. And again, you know, Senator John Fetterman, a Democrat, has been talking about the fact that these numbers each month are about a city the size of Pittsburgh. The White House is arguing that, A, it wants more border... Low MSRP plus no monthly payments for 90 days on virtually all 2023 Ram light duty and heavy duty trucks. Icy hot. Ice works fast. Heat makes it last. Feel the power of contrast therapy. So you can rise from pain. Icy hot. With Nurtech ODT, I can treat a migraine when it strikes and prevent migraine attacks all in one. Don't take if allergic to Nurtech. Allergic reactions can occur even days after using. Most common side effects were nausea, indigestion, and stomach pain. Ask about Nurtech ODT. I'll be home for Christmas. You can count on me. Please have snow. Right now, all over the country, kids at Shriners Hospitals for Children are able to go home and be with their families for the holidays. And it's only possible because of the monthly support of people just like you. Thanks to a generous donor, every dollar you give can help twice as many kids like me and have double the impact. With your gift of just $19 a month, only 63 cents a day, we'll send you this adorable Love to the Rescue blanket as a thank you and a reminder of the care you'll be providing so kids can be with their families. Christmas Eve will find me where the love light gleams. It only takes a moment to call the number on your screen, or you can visit loveshriners.org right now on your phone or computer. To a generous donor, your gift will go twice as far and help more kids like me. Because every child just wants to be home for the holidays, and your gift makes that possible. Your call is the best gift of all. Your gift will be my favorite Christmas present this year. Thank you for giving. 
please call the number on your screen or go online right now with your monthly gift. And when you do, your gift will have two times the impact. I am embarrassed to say this, but I've been using deodorant on my armpits for the past 40 years. And yet anytime I noticed odor anywhere else, I thought I needed a second shower, I wasn't clean, or there was something wrong with me. And then my gynecologist told me about Lumi. It's a whole body deodorant for pits, feet, and privates that controls odor anywhere and everywhere on your body. I tried it and I noticed a difference right away. Everywhere. You won't realize the body odor you've just been living with until you try Lumi and it's gone. Go to LumiDeo.com to build your customized bundle today. That was President Biden 661 days ago, promising to bring Navy Lieutenant Ridge Alconis home. Well, Ridge Alconis is back in the United States, but he is not home with his family. My husband, our family, we've suffered for two and a half years. Surely that's enough. Um, whether it's through the president himself or through the standard process by the DOJ, uh, Ridge could be home right now. He could certainly be home by Christmas. He's in jail in Los Angeles. Alcona spent almost two years confined in a Japanese prison on very dubious charges of negligent driving, killing two people. In reality, he had a medical episode related to acute altitude sickness that medical professionals agree was neither his fault nor negligent. He came to the United States in a prisoner transfer from Japan, and now President Biden could order him released literally with the stroke of a pen. Today, Mr. Biden commuted the sentence of 11 nonviolent drug offenders and thousands of convicted marijuana offenders. That includes anyone who has ever been convicted of federal simple possession of a marijuana blanket pardon. To be clear, presidential pardon is when the president completely expunges the offense from your record for the thousands perhaps tens of thousands of people who illegally had marijuana, it has now never happened. But a Navy lieutenant with three kids who had a medical episode after bravely serving his country is behind bars. Joining us now, New York Congressman Nick Lalota, Navy veteran, member of the House Armed Services Committee, uh, who has visited Ridge Alconis earlier this week. We were kicking this around earlier, Congressman. Um, can you figure out why the Biden administration uh, that admittedly sort of hasn't really done much for Ridge Alconis for so long. He's home now. The easiest thing in the world to do is President Biden sign sign a commutation, say release him, and he's out in 24 hours. Why not? Well, well, he's back on U.S. soil, but I would suggest he's very far from home. Instead of waking up every morning like he had for the previous 17 months in a Japanese cage, now he wakes up every morning in a U.S. cage, and that's a decision that our country makes Every day, we allow this gentleman who has served honorably in our armed forces for 15 years, a Naval Academy graduate, a surface warfare officer, somebody who's stationed overseas, defending our nation's interests with honor for 15 years. We as a country are making a choice to allow him to continue to serve in our prison. Now, he was he was sentenced to 17 months, uh, excuse me, to 36 months by the Japanese, served 17 months in a Japanese prison. Uh, to the president's credit, uh, he uses diplomatic channels to get Ridge Alconis back to U.S. soil, but he's got to finish the job. 38,000 of his service members are now stationed Congress, in Japan. Congressman, forgive, forgive me, forgive the interruption, but I, I want to get back sort of to the issue at hand here. Why? You, you've talked to the administration. You're on the House Armed Services Committee. 
why? Why has the administration given you any reason why they won't do this? Now, I can infer there is some pressure from the Japanese to have Lieutenant Alcona serve out the majority of his 36 months that they sentenced him to. Uh, they haven't said that to me explicitly, but I've inferred that through a couple of different of their communications. But while they may be getting so, why are, pressure why are we from, co- why are we caving to the Japanese? I don't get it. We're protect. We're you know we got all these U.S. troops over there, U.S. Uh, naval officers, uh, aircraft carriers. We're protecting the Japanese. Why are we caving to them? Well, we shouldn't cave to them. I think it's a miscalculation by some of our diplomats who don't understand that we have the leverage in the U.S.-Japan relationship, that, yes, we want to have our U.S. troops stationed there to protect our nation's interests against North Korea, against Russia, against China, and having them there is to our benefit. But you know whose benefit is much more towards? Towards Japan. Japan needs us there much more than we need to be there, and we should understand that's our leverage point, and we should not cave in. We should get Lieutenant Ridge Alconis back to his family right away. Congressman, um, I know you you don't represent Ridge Alconis in terms of uh, in Congress specifically, but you have so artfully and courageously stood up for him. Uh, It's a story we've been following for an awfully long time. Um, It's nice to see somebody who really cares and is willing to fight for what's right. Uh, Thank you uh, for that. Not many in Congress do. Uh, And we'll talk to you soon, sir. We appreciate it. Thanks. Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you. This Christmas, the hottest gift for any golfer in your family is old golf balls. The United States Golf Association figured out a way to penalize all of us normal golfers because somehow golf isn't hard enough as it is. The USGA is starting to mandate new golf balls don't go as far as part of a new testing system with this robot they're showing off. And the new balls will fly much shorter distances than current models. The whole idea is that pro golfers are hitting it too far and taking the fun out of the game, which is absurd. But who said golf was fair? In the 1980s, the tour players hit it 256 yards. The average by 2003 was 286. Last year, the average drive on the PGA was 300 yards. So think of this change as golf's version of Deflategate. Mandatory deflation, not just for the pros, but for all of us. Head instructor and golf fitter at Mike Bender Golf Academy in Florida. Full disclosure, knows a lot about my golf game because he is my golf coach. Matt Wilkes uh, is here. Okay, we know that I'm never going to be that good. Okay, I'm never going to hit it 350, despite your excellent coaching. But isn't this a little bit like saying, well, NASCAR drivers are too good, they're going too fast, so we're going to make every car, every Chevrolet on the road go slower? Absolutely. It's the same thing as making the basketball uh, hoop 15 feet tall because everybody's dunking. Um, I say let them play. Um, but, you know, I understand why they're doing it um, to a degree of, you know, keeping courses like St. Andrews and the historical courses, kind of keeping them from being um, buried out, so to speak. But um, I agree with you. I think let them play. Um, let him hit it far. I mean, at the end of the day, right now, the, the equipment's already capped out, right? They, they make balls to go a certain distance, the clubs to go a certain distance. Um, so they're already capped out. They should probably just leave it capped out right now. All right. I, I've been told um, by the control room um, that there is video of my swing. Yes. Yes. Yes, it is there. Now, we should point out that this is my swing after Matt's help. I think I look pretty good. In fact, show this to the USGA. They're going to roll back the golf ball even further. 
Correct. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, we'll end it there. This isn't going to get any better for me, nor is my golf swing. Matt, it's good to see you as always. Happy New Year. You got a happy new year. All right. Talk soon. Take care, buddy. Coming up next, Ron DeSantis, Joe Biden, and Bill Belichick all have one thing in common. They had a pretty miserable 2023. Bill O'Reilly joins us with his predictions on who will be the winner and losers of 2024. Now, every day. Everybody says they're the victim of a witch hunt. It's about the only thing Republicans and Democrats can agree on is that witch hunts are happening. Of course, if you're a Republican, it's a witch hunt against Trump. If you're a Democrat, it's a witch hunt against Hunter Biden. Well, that's maybe one of the reasons Bill O'Reilly's new book, Killing the Witches, is so popular. I think now over a quarter million copies Smart people would say well over 300,000 for sure by Christmas or New Year's. Bill is with us now. Bill, are we seeing parallels? Is that why this is popular, you think, going back to Salem to modern-day America? Yeah, the witches are busy in 2023 going into 24. A lot of action on the witch front. So I wrote this book, Leland, because I could write any book I wanted. This is the 13th Killing Book, the most successful nonfiction book series of all time. And it's up to me to pick the subject. So I like to make my books relevant to people's lives. And the essence of the witch hunt in 1692 in Salem, Massachusetts was that the accusations by the 12-year-old girls became convictions within two weeks. And you were guilty as soon as you were charged, you couldn't even defend yourself in the court. So if some idiot kid said that you tried to make her sign the devil's book, within two weeks you had a rope around your neck. 20 human beings killed, hundreds put into jail, hundreds. And many of those people died in the jails. And so now, all accusations are convicted if you're famous or rich in America. Because the media will slap it on page one, all the internet sites will slap it on up there, and whether you're guilty or not, they don't care. Because they want clicks, they want readers, they want ratings. Same thing going on. Now we're not hanging people, but we're destroying their lives. And we have in Killing the Witches, in the latter part of the book, regular folks, high school teacher, ESPN commentator, uh, whole lives were ruined on false accusations. We see it every single day. That's why the book has struck this chord. So in order to know what's going on today, you have to know how it all began in 1692. All right. History, uh, I guess if we don't learn the lessons from it, we're doomed to repeat it uh, or some some version of that quote. Uh, I think, though, about what we're seeing happen in America right now. It's one thing for false accusations against people to to ruin them. But is there also something about trying to find someone to demonize? Is there something now about our our culture that that is so willing to find one side or the other side and demonize them? Sure, it's called weaponization. 
So the progressive movement found out about 10 years ago that what Saul Alinsky wrote in Rules for Radicals, basically the professor who's departed now, and thank God for that, he was a horrible human being. He basically said, you mandate, if you're on the far left, to destroy anybody who disagrees with you. And the easiest way to do that is to accuse them of the most heinous crime you can, and then let them fight their way out of it because most of them don't have the money to do so. So the progressive left took that and then raised it to a level that has never, you know, people call it about the McCarthy uh, um, era in the 1950s, the witch hunt against communists. Well, that was bad. It's not close to what's happening now. There is an entire industry of lawyers who advertise on television. Tell me your story. Come in. We won't charge you any money at all. Tell me who did bad stuff to you. And we'll go get them. And then I'll take a percentage of whatever I can extort from them. This is an industry where hundreds of thousands of attorneys are participating in this. Now, that's not to say there aren't bad people who should be held accountable in a court of law. There are. And they are legion. But you've got to have some kind of process where to defend yourself doesn't cost $500,000. That's Yeah, well, and also the presumption of innocence, which, as you point out, was lost then and, and is lost now. In civil court... In civil court in the United States, that doesn't exist. Well, that's true. Fair enough. It's the preponderance of evidence. It's not guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. That's criminal. In civil, here's the game, Leland, and it's so vicious. You want to destroy somebody and get money from that person. You go in to hire one of these sleazy lawyers. The lawyer says, how can you back this up? You say, I really can't back it up. But it happened. The lawyer says, don't you have a friend who you told this to way back when? Some of these things are 30, 40 years old. And the person goes, yeah, yeah, I I think I have a friend. And all of a sudden, presto, a friend or two pop up and go, oh, Matilda told me this happened way back when. I remember it vividly. That's evidence? That was thrown out in a heartbeat. That's hearsay and I know this for a fact, people who participate in that kind of a con often get paid. Yeah, no, they do it. it, Well, well said. Um, I think about next year, we'll look back real quick. Uh, Your predictions, Hunter Biden's uh, tax prediction, correct. Joe Biden autumn poll collapse, correct. You made that on uh, this network. Stock market rebound, correct. Uh, You were wrong about Taylor Swift, person of the year. Um, I'm not sure either you (laughs) or I are qualified to discuss Taylor Swift. But I I want to get you on 2024. Um, Will it be Biden versus Trump? I don't think Biden's going to make it. Okay. All right, I'll take that. I'll take that as a no. Yeah, there are are serious problems behind the scenes with the president that the public does not know about. Um, I can't report Um, that. Yes or no, I I got two more yes or no. Will Hunter Biden go to jail in the next year? Almost has to because if Steve Bannon goes to jail, Hunter Biden has to go because they did the same thing. All right. Uh, exactly will Donald same. Trump be convicted of anything in 2024? 
I think he'll be convicted of the Mar-a-Lago stuff. Okay. And the Georgia thing, that could be, you know, problematic for Trump because it's a state thing. Yeah, I think that that would get, yeah, in a federal court, the, the Georgia thing get thrown out. But the Mar-a-Lago thing, that could he get yeah. convicted. And who, look, who knows what the Georgia no, thing, whether they even like, get a a jury but before uh, November of 2024. Last thing, you pick prescient topics. What is the next in the killing series that will be precedent for 2024? It's not a killing book. It's a confronting book. We're starting a new series. It's called Confronting the Presidents. No hmm. spin assessments from George Washington to Joe Biden. All right. And the Kill- book will be out, uh, you know, it'll be out in September to the run up to the presidential vote. Confronting the presidents next year, killing the witches this year, Bill. It's good to see you as always. Merry Christmas to you and yours. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you, Leland. Thanks a lot for being a real pro. All By right. the way, your audience should know you're a real professional. And to everybody at News Nation, you know, I enjoy the season. Have a Merry Christmas and uh, thanks for watching Leland and I. We need your uh, support here. <laughs> well, we're, we're in it together. Thank you. We'll see you in 2024. Next, John Fetterman goes from media darling to pariah in the blink of an eye. His crime, supporting Israel's right to exist. Senator's quick fall from grace. Now it says so much about America today. endless atrocities and the full might of Israel's army unleashed on this tiny strip of land, the very people they're supposed to be eradicating are still firmly in power. Only about 20% of Hamas terrorists so far, even if you accept IDF figures on this, have been killed. Hmm. Hamas's attack and Israel's counteroffensive have proved too much for the media, where the inmates now run the asylum. Attempts at fairness aren't even a thing anymore. Look no further than the coverage of Senator John Fetterman, who went from hero to zero in just a year. He was a hero, according to the New York Times, for seeking help with depression. Headlines like, Fetterman's disclosure of depression signals new openness on mental health. Cloistered at Walter Reed, Fetterman runs his Senate operation from afar, a dozen miles from the Capitol. The first-term Democrat from Pennsylvania is keeping up with his work while being treated for severe clinical depression. But less than a year later, Philadelphia Inquirer columnist Will Bunch skewered the senator. Quote, young idealists thought Fetterman might actually be different before he turned out to be more of the same with just funnier tweets. See, Fetterman committed the now unforgivable crime on the left of showing photos of hostages that have been taken by Hamas in his office. Host of the aggressive progressive podcast, syndicated Chris Hahn radio show, News Nation political contributor Chris Hahn. Good to see you before the first of the year. Look, 2023, the year that I guess maybe it's a good thing, right? That now a lot of the media doesn't even sort of try to be fair. Everybody just sort of, if you agree with them, they love you. And if you don't, they'll skewer you. It doesn't matter. I try to be fair all the time. And Fetterman's stance is a lot like mine. I'm a pro-Israel progressive. I was getting hammered on my radio shows and podcasts uh, for taking a very strong stance against 
uh, some very far left groups that were rallying against Israel after October 7th. Uh, I thought they were ridiculous. I think Fetterman and I are both Gen Xers who have a progressivism that understands that foreign policy, you got to be with the people who are your allies. And in the Middle East, we have no greater ally uh, than Israel. And, no, and, and no, no, no I, goes, I get that. I get that. You know, if they I get stop, that. But if, what I. What I can't figure out, though, is the, is the media organizations, and I point to the New York Times, uh, that was all in on John Fetterman and protecting him when he was at Walter Reed with depression. They had absolutely no fairness in their coverage of saying, hey, is there a guy who is getting treatment? Fine. But at the same time, can somebody in that capacity really do their job in the U.S. Senate? It was a complete puff piece that they did and whitewashed it. But now all of a sudden, that he is taking a stand they don't like, or their newsroom, really, a lot of their reporters don't like, well, suddenly now they skewer them. It just doesn't seem, it just doesn't seem fair. Fairness is no longer a a standard in the media. I think they were pointing out that, yeah, I, I think there was. I think that their their piece on him was was pointing out some of his critics and maybe giving their critics. I think his critics too much weight. I don't think that these anti-Israel far left progressives are the base of the Democratic Party. You talk to to most mainstream Democrats, most mainstream liberals, they are in the exact same place that Fetterman and I and Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden are on Israel, meaning they are going to support them. Look, if Hamas wants war to end, they just need to stop fighting. If Israel stops fighting, there will be no more Israel. That is the way it has always been. And the Israelis understand that. And people have been... And Antony Blinken made the exact. I'm gonna give you the last 30 seconds. Antony Blinken made the exact same point. He said, for all the talk about why Israel should stop, why is there no discussion about why Hamas, the aggressors, should stop? My question is though, and I ask this for journalists who are supposed to be fair and be tough on both sides, why don't they ask that very simple question? Yeah, I think because the people that they're gonna ask that simple question to are gonna just ignore. Uh, their question. The only, you know, the mainstream types like Fetterman, like myself, like Schumer, will answer the question directly. And these far left people don't even understand the question right now. And I think that's the bigger problem. A lot of these people that are on the left are young and misguided, and they probably don't remember 9-11 the way I do, Mm. the way people of my generation do. I was working in the U.S. Senate on 9-11. It is still yesterday to me. And when I see what happened on October 7th in Israel, I don't know how anybody could support the side that that caused those aggression. It was horrible. And I think uh, Fetterman's position is correct. I think people opposing him are ridiculous. And I don't take them as seriously as a lot of people do. All right, fair enough. You've been consistent on that. throughout this. Chris, it's good to see you. All the best to you and yours. Happy New Year. We'll see you on the other side, buddy. Happy New Year to you and yours too, man. All right, coming up next, nobody supports DUI drivers. Really, drunk driving is terrible. But do you really want the government inside your car, inside every car, deciding when you can turn it on and when you can't? That next. I think you all know that I've always felt the nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. In the government's latest bold idea to help you, they will keep you from driving after a beer under a new rule filed by the Highway Transportation Administration. Every new car in America will come with an ignition interlock device. 
That means just like convicted drunk drivers, all of us law-abiding folks will blow into little tubes so our car starts. Not just at night, not just when our car is parked at a bar, but every time we want to drive somewhere. Reporter for Reason Magazine, Christian Berchiski is here. Good to see you, Christian. Thank you. Um, is, is this actually going to happen or is this just a proposal? Well, so we're still in the early stages of rulemaking. Um, the 2021 bipartisan infrastructure law does require federal transportation officials to come up with some sort of requirement that auto companies and new cars have some sort of passive drunk driving detection technology. Um, but I mean, the fact is, we're still this technology uh, doesn't actually exist at the moment, so it's not clear exactly what types of technology they might mandate, then what kind of countermeasures that it would take. Would it stop you from starting your car? Would it alert the police? We're still in the very early stages of this rule, and there's a lot of open questions. It's kind of wild. I guess the NBC News folks had an idea of, of what passive might look like rather than active of you blowing into the tube. So who knows what it looks like? Um, but I guess my question is, where does this go from here, right? Is this the, the next step is if you drive over 80, your car sends a message to the police, right? Or if you change lanes um, and you don't use your turn signal, you, you, it tells your insurance company. Is, is that where right. we're headed? Well, there does seem to be this very pernicious idea uh, underlying this rule that because you could potentially use your car to commit a crime, your car should be surveilling you at all times. Uh, that raises very serious privacy and civil liberty concerns. You know, you have a right against being surveilled in your own, you know, on your own property. You have a right against self-incrimination. And this this kind of technology seems to cut against both those ideas. Yeah, it's it's fascinating to, to see and also um how, how they're trying to make these rules. You make, it, make a good point. It sort of got snuck into the bipartisan infrastructure law. Um, when, when's the next, I got 15 seconds. When's the next time we hear about this? When's the next sort of data point? Uh, so they've just started uh, advanced notice of proposed rulemaking. And so the regulatory process will play out, but it'll be a few months before we have any more, any more idea of what this rule might look like. Wow. Holiday parties may never look the same. Christian, it's good to see you. Thank you very much. Uh, very best to you and yours. It is the most wonderful time of the year again. We hope family, love, football, good cheer and celebration fill your holidays over the next week. Invariably, when conversation around the living room or on the golf course turns to politics, we have something positive for you to talk about with your family. News Nation. Tell them why you trust us. Tell them why you spend an hour with us every night. Not because you agree with us, but because what we say is fair. And we're grateful for your loyalty. We look forward to seeing you next year. If you're looking for a last-minute Christmas gift, warnotes.com has you covered. Signing your relatives up for our free daily newsletter. You already subscribe. Warnotes.com. It's free. They will get their first note starting on January 2nd. I'll see you on social media over the next week. Wishing you and yours a very Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Here's Chris. Hey, how you doing? I'm Chris Cuomo. It's the Friday before Christmas. I'm going to talk at you a little bit uh, tonight. I hope you're okay with that. We also have breaking news, and I'm going to get you that. We have some interesting angles. And uh, Steve Garvey, 
uh, the big baseball star is running as a Republican for Senate. Why are both parties happy about that? So they're big things, but I do want to talk at you a little bit. Uh, first, uh, j- just to do something that's necessary. Um, thank you uh, for the Christmas gift of your interest. I really appreciate it. What News Nation is trying to do is not easy uh, to question the established modes of reporting on the political game and, and keeping you guys apart and in feeding things uh, that are often